Hello again. Welcome to Which Car Weekly, the best automotive podcast. Big call, quite possibly, but also probably true. My name is Daniel Gardner. Welcome to another episode of Barrow Media's Collaborative Minds, um, when we all get together and discuss our favourite motoring t- topics from the week that has passed. We are back. We have our feet firmly back on the ground in the Which Car studio. Our last couple of uh, podcasts, if you've listened to them, came from the amazingly uh, prestigious SB Hotel in St Kilda. Uh, none of that this week. We are back to the somewhat makeshift studio. And I'm joined by Scott Newman, Associate Editor of Motor Magazine. Hello. An old favourite. And speaking of old favourites, uh, returning to the Witchcar Weekly podcast, uh, Witchcar Senior Writer David Bonici. Bonichiwa. Thank you. It's great to be back, guys. It's lovely to have you back. We have you here to discuss a number of things, and they are as follows. Golf 8 tees off, everyone drops E in Tokyo, and Motor puts the P in Cotty. But there's no P in Cotty. There is now. Hey! Uh, gentlemen, let's kick off with uh, absolute uh, groundbreaking news from the week. Uh, Volkswagen, after a protracted and, dare I say it, probably a bit long uh, mm. campaign of teasers in inverted commas spy shots da, 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 discussed that before uh, the new Mark 8 Volkswagen Golf is out at last um, yesterday it was unofficial today it is official the car is out there and at last we can see what it looks like what do we think gentlemen let's kick it off with that simple question what do we think of the look of the new Mark 8 Golf oh great one please you've all got plenty to say about it. right next talk topic great we'll, we'll wind that one up quickly They've gone with the evolutionary design change, haven't they? Yeah, and do we think that's the right thing to do? Yeah, probably. I mean, it's probably it's, you'd think it would be a conservative buyer set. Um, you don't want to uh, rock the boat too much. Surely they have. I mean, it's it's kind of intertwined with the ID three. Really, it, it's the future and the present. They're sort of playing that up. This is the what we can do at the present. Um, so you've got the ID three, which is why apparently the Mark Eight's been delayed a bit. It was going to be appear at Frankfurt and they said no we don't want it to steal the ID3 Thunder so we'll yeah. delay it a bit um, so yeah I mean if they want to do their flashy futuristic forward thinking stuff they've now got that sort of ID brand which means the golf as you'd expect is to not scare off people it's to introduce high tech more slowly and keep it all a bit safe yeah I think really my opinion with it is you, you, you cannot change the Golf too much because we're now into eighth, eighth generation of it. It's evolved so nicely. And, you know, it, this one is a, is a really good example of making the changes you need to so it doesn't look like the old one, but not changing it so much that it's not unrecognisable. Yes. The only thing I am slightly confused about, though, is, as you mentioned, the ID3, Volkswagen's first electric uh, mass-produced vehicle. That, to me, looks a bit Golf. You know what I mean? It's proportions yeah. and kind of... So... I feel like that needed to to have just a little bit more distance from now what we know is the latest generation Golf Mark Eight that will be sold alongside the ID Three in a showroom. I reckon they just perhaps it's just a little bit too similar. Although I dare say it's more similar to the Mark Seven, and I think the Mark Eight has moved on a little bit. Perhaps what do you think? Does it need a little bit more distance in in terms of styling for people to differentiate the two? It'll, it'll go there. Oh, I think they look very different. Uh, um, oh, so I'm wrong. Okay, fine. That's no, I think they can tell. <laughs> I, I think what's interesting Spec is... savers for you, Dan. <laughs> will this be the final generation of the Golf as we know it with powertrains? <gasps> Probably. Well, yeah, you'd think so. Uh, typical Golf life... Although... Yeah, typical Golf life spans only about five or six years, so that still takes us to 
2025. So that was not a difficult sum to do. <laughs> I don't know why you took <laughs> so long to me. That over. Yeah, well, I thought you were the maths brain in the no, room. No, no, well, you're fairly mistaken. Well, to um, would perhaps some of the answers lie in a few of the variants that have been confirmed with mm. the first photos. One will be uh, a new generation of the GTE. Yes, I like the sound of that. That's probably the car that sort of. Doesn't necessarily excite me the most because uh, the GTI and the R will be very, very exciting. Yep. But um, GTE is cool. It's 180 kilowatts, so Golf GTI-ish power Yeah. Um, with a 13 kilowatt hour battery, I think. So it's a plug-in hybrid. Yeah. Um, all the power with miserly consumption. Exactly. Yes. So that's one toe into the electrified world for the Golf. Mm-hmm. And another one we've seen is the one variant at least is wearing a boot badge, which is E-T-S-I, lowercase e, capital T-S-I. Um, yet to confirm exactly what that is, I believe, but I think it's a fair assumption that that is a mild hybridized petrol engine system as well. Yeah, I think that's the um, DSG variant with uh, a 48 volt. 28 48 volt mild hybrid system the yeah. manuals obviously don't get that because you can't integrate the electric motor yeah so we're already seeing uh this convergence of the two models the id3 and the golf electrified golf already fully electric id3 maybe maybe at one point we will arrive at that point where one and one and the same but that's the one thing the fully electric golf which was in the last generation has been now being killed because that's the id3's role yeah totally so so what they are keeping next? them? They are keeping them a little bit separate. Well, yeah. I think yeah. So um, GTI is confirmed. We know that that's yes. going to be coming to Australia at about the same time as the rest of the range. One point four ETSI um, in what's that? Latter part of next year, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes, sounds about right. Or middle, middle to latter part of next year. Um, yeah, the GTI hopefully will launch around about the same time, and as and as we know, that will continue with exactly the same power plant that it has now. Yes. Um, no confirmation on R yet. So, I mean, it's fair to say there will be one. Bit of speculation about it, though. About there is. That they're going to steal Ooh. its bigger brother, bigger brother's engine, the five pot out of the RS3. What do we reckon? Would that be a good thing? I don't know. I, don't, I think it's... I kind of like the EA triple... Is it still the EA triple eight? Or is it the one above that? I think it is the EA triple eight in the Golf R. The four-cylinder two Yeah, I mean, turbo. I'm currently driving a TTS, which has got the... Same, Same engine, yeah. Um, sweet unit, like it. And the, uh, I mean, five cylinders has always been Audi's thing. Like it's Audi's tradition. Yeah, it's a clear differentiation. Um, I mean, Volkswagen probably would like to because the engine would have a lot more headroom. But yes, yeah. I can't imagine Audi would be too pleased. To and that. that's what it comes down to. I think it's one of those situations where great for VW, not very good for Audi. That's yes. really its USP at the moment. It's five cylinders and. And yeah, I think it probably wants to hold on to that for dear life. Um, that engine, though, has a lot lot of life left in it. We've only just seen the new alloy block um, mm. launch a couple, it was a year ago now, um, perhaps more in Europe. But uh, yeah, so that engine has a lot more potential. It's going to be producing a lot more power in, in future incarnations. So yeah, what it goes into next, who knows? But Especially as you could, you know, as soon as you apply mild hybrid technology to that. Um, but can I raise a couple of things? Please. About golfs? Yes. One thing, um, I'm just reading uh, the the gump about the new market, and they say that this ETSI, so the mild hybrid system, um, results in about a 10% improvement in economy. Okay, very laudable, but is that enough given that, uh, you know, from ne- no, 2021, yeah. the super restrictive um, emissions regulations come in and the fleet average emissions regulations come in in Europe yeah. and golf obviously is their volume seller they sell more golfs than anything else I would have thought that given that they're currently their fleet average is nowhere near low enough yeah. they might have wanted to aim a bit higher than 10% or aim a bit lower indeed yeah aim a bit lower yes. the full hybrid might 
really help get that number yeah. down. True, absolutely, because of course, you know, in other hybrid models, they use these somewhat unbelievable uh, and, a, and a slightly tenuous scale and say sort of, you know, figures yes. of like 1.2 litres per 100 kilometres. We can explain that ad nauseum exactly how they get those figures. But yeah, so you're right. From their perspective, that corporate average fuel consumption figure will plummet if they manage to pull a figure like that out of the hat. Yeah. 10% not a lot, especially as you're talking about a car that isn't that inefficient as it is. You know, the Golf no. is, a, is a brilliantly efficient car, just with a nice little one point four. Yeah, exactly. Engine. I mean, I haven't looked exactly the numbers, but I imagine, like, the I think the fleet average 2021 is 95 grams kilometer, 95 grams per kilometer of CO2. I would be surprised if uh, these ETSI engines are much below that, if if at all. So, yeah, they're going to have to sell a hell of a lot yeah. of them to offset any Golf R they make or GDI exactly. they make, not to mention all the more powerful stuff. 10% of not very much is yes. an even smaller quantity of not very much. But I have an even more important topic. Please. The possibly the most important thing that this golf actually debuts is something called Car 2X. Oh. Have you known do, do you know about this? I I'm going to feign ignorance so that you, for okay. the benefit of our audience. Oh, okay, great. Um so Car 2X is basically a data sharing. It can talk to other cars. It's an EU standard. Some cars can already do this, talk to each other or talk to the parent company, but um, tell you, you know, what you do, tell the company what you're doing at any sort of, any given time. But the Car 2X is important because it's an EU standard, which means it works car to car, like different variants, different manufacturers, oh, different right. models. Well, that's the really important thing. Because car to car communication is key if they ever want to get autonomy off the ground. Yes. Um, so this is a big step in the in a, in a big step towards that having autonomous vehicles and having sort of yeah so this is off. a system that shares vital information about well everything really yes. there's no limit on what information the car can have access to yep it's an internet based system yep 4G and 5G yep which um so let's let, the easiest way of explaining it is to perhaps sort of put a, a typical day-to-day scenario um one of my favorites is there are a convoy of vehicles traveling along a fairly busy road. Um, the weather is terrible uh, up ahead, and you don't know that yet because mm. you haven't got to this good day to talk about it when we've had some pretty uh, some tumultuous weather in Melbourne. Um, yeah, so the cars ahead encounter this terrible weather and immediately relay the information back to ones following it. So that exactly. you, not, whether you respond or not, the car already knows, and it can do all kinds of clever things. Like it can even change the way the ESC is set. Um, mm-hmm. It can prepare you and the car for uh, that adverse condition ahead, whether it be an accident, whether it be some other kind of hazard on the road, anything. So these cars are sharing the information. And the key thing with car to X, X means anything. So yes. not just another car. There could be road signs. There could be traffic light signals that tell the car it's about to go red. So you don't have that awful situation where you slam on the brakes last minute. Exactly. That's the key thing. Now it's an industry standard. Uh, basically, the cities can adopt it. Roads, road transport can ad- adopt it. So like you say, if one of those cars crashes, it can alert emergency services immediately because everything's on the same system. Yeah. So it's a yeah, big step forward. Can order the panels. Yes. yes. But then there's a negative privacy aspects of all that. Which... Yes, apparently it's they're not going to share the data with anyone and it's the data's all anonymous, but... Whatever. Yeah. If there's a buck to be made out of it, of course they're Ooh, going Oh, yeah. To. And that's, yeah. There's a lot data, of... Data is key. That's the, it is. They say that's the world's most valuable commodity, no? Hmm. Lucky I don't have shares in data. No. <laughs> Although we don't see any of that money. No, that's right. I mean, we don't need any money. We're motor journalists. We're rolling in the stuff. <laughs> uh, gentlemen, another thing that happened this week and is still ongoing in a country called Japan. 
the Tokyo Motor Show. The, what number are we up to now? Millionth or something? I don't know. It's been going a long time. Probably not a million. No, I think it's something like 39. That was hyperbole. 45, 39? Don't know. Close enough. Uh, yes, well, uh, following on from the Frankfurt Show, Tokyo now takes the mantle as the uh, the global motor show that's going on right now. And there are all kinds of exciting things. But mostly, it was a very heavy focus on electrified vehicles, wasn't it? Perhaps not surprising. Any highlights you'd like to pull out of the Tokyo top hat? I never thought I'd ever ever say this, but the Mitsubishi was the most exciting. Wow, right. Do tell us. What's so exciting? Nurse. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, it's uh, that four-wheel drive concept. It's the, a meat, was it, a meat, a meat, meat tech, fev? Meat. It's got meat tech, fev. Oh, vegans won't be happy. And it's a sort of open-top, sort of roadster-looking SUV, but it has a gas turbine hybrid engine. Wow. Absolutely get out of this studio. Tell us, what does it, why, what's, what's that all about? Well, the, the beauty of a gas turbine engine is the different fuels it could use. It could use, obviously, Jet A1 or alcohol, met- ethanol. Wow, so, like me, it can run entirely on alcohol That's and right. nothing else. That's yes. amazing. Which means it could be very, in, particularly in uh, coupled with a hybrid, very, very efficient. So, it's just a, yet another powertrain we haven't really thought of. It had been done before by Jaguar in a concept. Yeah. Oh, this, is that CX-75 thing or yes. something else? Yes. This is a concept as well, though, isn't it? Oh, it very is. much so. Yeah. It's, um, Do we ever see... I mean, a, a turbine engine, gas turbine engine, is still an internal combustion engine. Hmm. Is it as dead as a force, as, as a you know reciprocating piston internal combustion engine? Probably not, because like Dave says, it can run on sort of anything. You could probably run it on vegetable oil or food scraps if you want to. Can you... Too. Yeah, can you do, like, full back to the future and, like, empty your bin into it and... Probably. Yeah? Why not? Let's give it a go. I don't know. I have no scientific knowledge behind this, but sure. Let's try an ASX and see how that goes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's I will be immediately after this. I will be stuffing an empty milk carton into the fuel filler yeah. of a Jaguar XC. <laughs> uh, so the MeTech, they um, they did say that the technology is nowhere near production ready yet in terms of okay. little little things like you know heat management and cooling and you know. Um, well, it's but, got no roof, so yeah. I'm not sure how that. And the other thing is that uh, the other thing that's cool though is the MeTech's got a, an electric motor on each wheel. Which is pretty oh, cool. Not yeah, many cars yeah. have that yet. Um, even like the Model Three that is just sitting outside our studio uh, has an electric motor on each axle, which helps. But as soon as you get to an electric motor on each wheel, you get sort of the ultimate four-wheel drive system because you can yeah. control each wheel independently. And the other added bonus to that, as a byproduct, is you don't have transmission running everywhere. So you have huge space in the car yeah. that would be previously taken up by gearboxes and transmission shafts and things. So yeah, there's lots of advantages to it. Correct. It is interesting how Mitsubishi, the last few motor shows, they've really been pumping out the concepts, EV concept, Nissan as well. And yet, there are two brands at the moment which probably have the oldest fleets going. Yeah. So you just wonder if they've just given up on current tech and are just putting everything into EVs and one day they'll just drop these hopefully amazing cars like they, they, one, they once did. We were, we were talking about this the other day, weren't we, Dave, and saying how their lineup is so old, they really better have something up their sleeve to replace some <clears throat> very aged, long-toothed cars. And that's the thing. Maybe they're looking five years ahead where they're right, when we do drop something, there's no point dropping a petrol car. It better be yeah. an EV and let's just go full on with that. And when you think that they're part of that Mitsubishi and Nissan are related now, yeah. um, it's, and you look at what they've got, Renault are the only ones really bringing out new models. Um, it could be interesting to see where what they do in five years' time. The only danger and potential flaw I can see in that 
strategy is that if they are genu- genuinely keeping their powder dry, keep selling these million-year-old petrol-burning and diesel-burning cars, and then one day release an entire line of EVs. The danger there is people don't necessarily associate the brand with mm. trustworthy, reliable EVs. Other companies like Volkswagen, I'm going to go back to that example there, you know, the, the ID3 is out in amongst the whole range of pr- combustion vehicles and hybrids and all sorts. So people are slowly sort of warming up to the idea yeah. of VW producing a pure electric vehicle. Mitsubishi, if it suddenly drops a big range of them, are people just going to go, Ooh, I'm not, not, well, don't trust you on that? Outlander was one of the first mainstream plug-in hybrids. Good point. It's going away. Um, as for their sales, Dan, as we were saying, though, they're one of the. I don't know how they are around the world, but they're only they're one of the only brand top brands in Australia in positive territory. Hmm. And That's the weird thing, isn't it? They're piling them high and selling keeps, It's selling more every year. It's ridiculous. It's isn't just it? crazy. Triton sells well. Um, Pajero Sport is selling well. So the lesson is don't spend any money on developing new cars. Yep. Yeah. And well, then pass on the savings to the buyer. And that's, yeah. how, that's how it's working. Yet at the same Unlike time, banks. they're obviously spending a lot of money on development of these EV concepts. Let's hope so. Let's hope that's exactly what's happening. Because if they don't have that, if they are just resting very much on their laurels and selling these cars, which are, you know, the reason they're selling well is because, okay, fair enough, they, they are appealing in many ways to a large With audience. Prices. That's the point. The price is very appealing, and the reason and the price reliable. is so low is because they've been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. And when you've when you've sold that many, and you, you can you can absolutely slash your their own prices. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, of course they're cheap. But yeah, as I say, it's a it's a treacherous strategy if you don't have something to follow them up. When eventually people stop buying them, or you can no longer sell them anymore because of basic criteria. But it is amazing how their old platforms are able to adopt things like autonomous emergency braking, yeah. where we've seen other models say, "Oh, we can't do that until we get a whole new model." Yeah, and they've you know in, in ten years the ASX for instance has gone and now has Apple CarPlay, even some brands couldn't even do that. Grandpa's um, axe, I mean, it totally is. Isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's like the hundred year old hammer. Yeah, this, this hammer is a hundred years old. It's had three new heads and two handles. It's hundred years old. <laughs> My old rally car was like that. Yeah, yeah, totally. It was actually three different cars. Yeah, it had a number of engines like... and it had three different body shells. So I don't. I think only the compliance plate was original. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, yeah. Well, that's. Uh, hey, this is probably a good point to talk about that guy in the UK who was busted for speeding. Uh, oh, yes. With evidence he provided himself. Yes. What an absolute. So, so just quickly, you know, talk about incriminating yourself by talking about your effectively wrong. Oh, okay, car. that car's dead now. Oh, good, <laughs> excellent. Um, a gentleman, a motor journalist in the UK, who posted a video of himself driving an Audi R8 on public roads that looked suspiciously outside the realms of the law, the confines mm. of the law. The police uh, got hold of the footage because it's on Twitter, not hard, uh, and they threw it at their forensics team and said, work out how fast he's going. And Mm. they did, and they said probably about 160 kilometres an hour, conservatively. And on that evidence alone, he got fined £600 and got given a whole shed load of demerit points. So there's there's a moral to the story. Don't tell people or make it blatantly obvious when you've broken the law. Yes. <laughs> Scott. That reminds me, hey, me, I didn't break the law. Well, you once did. Um, yeah, well, oh, no, no, no. But it does remind <laughs> me of... <laughs> Good, well done. It's you been happening for decades, because I remember a Japanese gentleman uh, bought an F40 and went out on the freeway and VMAXed oh, yeah, it to 320 yeah. and sold the VHS tape for everybody, yeah. including to police officers, <laughs> who then looked at it and went, you're going to jail. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> 
Anything else we want to cover off quickly on the Tokyo show before we move on? Anything yeah, just else? the MX-30. Um, very important car. It's Mazda a, MX-30. Yeah, Mazda MX-30. It's going to have a rotary, hopefully, in the in the very near future. So, yes, yeah, so while we talked about the turbine in the Mitsubishi, Mazda is closer to doing a revolutionary range extender system, and that is, as Scott impersonated mm-hmm. very accurately then, yes. um, he might enhance that in editing later so it sounds a bit more realistic. But, uh, yeah, uh, the rotary engine will make a return to Mazda's, um, albeit as a range extender. Now, that many people may sort of slump and say, oh, it's a bit dull, a bit, bit uh, um, poor use of a resurgent engine, a wonderful engine, which is a cult classic. But I say to that, that's where it will come back. That's its, that's its return yeah. point. From there, if they've got a, a reliable, efficient rotary engine, who knows where it could go? Mm-hmm. The, the key thing about the MX-30 is it's only got 200Ks of EV range. Yeah. And I've seen a, people, a couple of people have said, oh, is it? But... I actually like that. They haven't put a massive battery pack in it because mm-hmm. it doesn't need it. Because what's this car going to do? It's going to drive to work and back or yep. take the kids to school. You're going to charge it every night. So I think it's actually a very clever strategy by Mazda to say, what does this car need? Not, yes. can, not, not what can we put on the brochure. Yeah. What does it actually need? And I think that's pretty good. Because battery power and range has become very much the... Um, uh, very much sort of a battle and mm. uh, you know it's an arms race in the yep. electric vehicle sphere with people saying oh I'll do 500 kilometers it's like well do you really need to no exactly I mean ha- people don't really need a 500 kilometer petrol range no um, so yeah perhaps that is Mazda addressing what it effectively a bit of dare I say a bit of dick swinging that's right. And one final very quick thing Toyota Mirai the second generation came out looks a lot sexier but everybody's I need to look into this more but everybody's going What's the future? Is electric? Is it hydrogen? But hydrogen seems very, very difficult. Well, Toyota's doing it. Like, yeah, if they've yeah. done it, it, can't be that hard, can it? Like, yeah. they're, like they're selling this car. Surely it works. Exactly right. <laughs> Good on them. Yeah. Well, Hyundai, Honda are also yeah. on it too. So it's it it's still a bit fringe, but it's certainly not forgotten. No. Um, while we're very briefly on the subject still, um, Toyota is now talking about its hybrid Hilux even more so. That'll be um, a oh, that'll be a shift game game changer, won't it? Well, I mean, perhaps not in this country yet, but in mm. other parts of the world, definitely. Um, and Lexus uh, revealed its LF30 concept, which is significant and a milestone for them as well, because like we were saying, EV centric Tokyo show this year, that's their first acknowledgement of a full electric vehicle. So, mm. yeah, it's it's as we've said before, we've known it for ages. The the future is electric, whether it be. You know, hydrogen fuel cells, it'll be battery electric, or some other system that isn't even talked about yet. It is the inevitable future, and we will endeavour to talk even more about it on Which Car Weekly. Given the DPF issues, I'm imagining that hybrid Hilux can't come quickly enough. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> and even a humble Honda Jazz is going to have a hybrid. There you go. Another vehicle that was revealed at Humble Tokyo. hybrid Honda. Sounds like one of my intros. Yeah. <laughs> From one amazing display and extravaganza of vehicles in Tokyo to another... Mm-hmm. You, Scottles, have Me. just got back from a week doing something we like to call Peacotty. Yes, Peacotty stands for Performance Car of the Year. It's been running for 25 years, 26 years now. I haven't been to all of them. Um, I've been <laughs> to some of them. Uh, I've been been to a few, though. Uh, as, as the name suggests, it's our annual roundup of... The 10 coolest cars we can get our hands on. Uh, we go to a racetrack for a couple of days, see how fast they are. We drive them on the road to see how you know how they fare in the real world. And then we round them all up and sort them into a list from 1 to 10. Now, the results are embargoed for quite a while because it'll be at the Australian Motoring Awards next year. 
Um, I know the results, but no do you? Yep. Um, but you pin him down. I thought we, since we'd just done them, uh, done the test, we'd have a quick chat about it to say, uh, yeah, how much fun it was. Great. So, um, probably a good place to start is if you could just give us a brief summary of the process. So you go away to the racetrack for a week and you put a number of uh, candidates through a series of tests. Yeah. So we have uh, ten cars. Um, I, basically, the ten, yeah, as I said, the ten best cars we can get our hands on, which is probably leads to another topic we'll talk about in a second. Yeah. Um, and we have a racetrack because we obviously straight line performance system. We put a yeah. pro, pro racing driver in to find out how fast they go around the track. But that stuff doesn't really. It's not like our bang for your bucks. The, the data doesn't necessarily matter. It's just to show a representative number. Yeah. Um, it's all purely subjective. We've got six criteria, the usual stuff. How how fast is it? How much? You know how. The value, uh, does it ride properly? Is it comfortable? Is it, you know, does it handle well? Oh, yeah. uh, obviously, focusing on the performance and dynamics because yeah, yeah. it is performance car of the year. Uh, we have um, five judges, all pretty experienced. Um, and yeah, we just sort of have a good time, really. Well, from some of the Insta posts I have been seeing over the past week, it looks like someone had a very good time. Well, yeah. I mean, whenever you've got 10 cars at an empty racetrack and photographers and videographers egging you on. If you're listening now and you have gone a deep shade of green, yes. then It's a long the day, all right? It's very oh, tiring. Oh, Look, poor Scott. Exactly. I'm sure there's elements of this. I know for a fact there's elements of this job that, you know, you can say you, you can bemoan slightly and people don't believe you. But on this one, I'm afraid you have no sympathizers at all. I have to drive lots of cars really yeah. fast. And I forgive me if I'm, if I'm speaking out of turn, <laughs> but it, I believe you spent more time not going in a straight line than you did going in a straight line. Well, that's the trouble. Like, a car just going in a straight line, doesn't. it's hard to convey how quickly it's going. So, therefore, <laughs> if it's somewhat... I'm calling bollocks on If it's on this somewhat one. of an angle to the, you know, to the perpendicular, it's <laughs> easier to just see that it's being driven in a spirited fashion. So, you could turn your head to the side. <laughs> I could. I could just lean it with a G-force and then it would be more exciting. Um, how many tyres do you get through? Oh, don't ask. Is it plenty? Well, that's an interesting thing, though. We did ask for extra tyres this year because we do have to do more filming requirements, TV show, yeah. video. So you, the wear rate tends to go up a little bit. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, we ordered spare, and the car companies very, very um, graciously provided them. But we didn't think that new cars don't have any tyre changing equipment. Oh, what do you mean? Like Jack well, they, and they all, They've all got, um, yeah, they've all got. Uh, the goose rubbish in them that doesn't work. Ah. And I thought that, oh, well, they'd at least have a tyre iron. Nope. So... Oh, so off you went to... to Bunnings, yeah, to oh. find a 17mm and 19mm socket oh, to get no. these wheels off. So That's infuriating. It's a topic for another... longer For a, a longer topic for another day, I think, but it did cause quite a few headaches trying to actually... Uh, Get, and the other thing is jacks don't go under these cars now because they're also so low. Oh, right. So what so should have been a simple wheel swap turned into hours of misery. And so even if, yeah, so you're not, you're not, you're not trying to fix punctures. You're actually trying to change yeah, the wheel. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I think if you do you have a puncture, which is a fairly common occurrence, Absolutely. Uh, you're stuffed. That's infuriating. Yes. So how did you get with the problem? You actually ended up doing a bit of a tool shop and... Yeah, we just went and bought sockets that would fit and stuff like that. And uh, the local, um, even the local tyre shop, we took the, one of the AMGs there and it had these star wheel nuts on it. Yeah. Um, and they thought they were all lock nuts. They actually weren't, but usual, the usual deal is to just stick a rattle gun on them. Oh, yeah. But it probably would have just stripped the whole thread. So Ooh. we did it by hand, thankfully. Um and then the tyres were so wide that they wouldn't fit on their, <laughs> tire, oh, fit on their mach- changing machine. Wow, that's um, Yeah, all sorts of stuff. So, Abs- that, 
Sorry, Dan. Without giving anything away, Scott, is there anything, any highlights of the cars or anything that's... Yeah, so we had or... some really good stuff. I mean, that's the, this is an invite-only process. Um, the car doesn't just automatically come because it's a fast car. Um, one interesting thing was we took an Alfa Romeo Stelvio this year. Oh, uh, which is an SUV. SUVs haven't come to Bacotti. They've been banned for quite a long time because they took a few in the early days, about a decade ago, and they were rubbish. Um, so we thought <laughs> right. um, we would, you know, they're so popular revisit. now. Let's revisit it. Yeah. Let's dip the toe in. And Alpha sort of worked. You know, it's got the Nürburgring cred. It's got the Ferrari yeah. engine and sort of things like that. Yep. So that was interesting. Um, we had the new 911 there. Very good car. Camaro ZL1. Oh, yeah. Of course, um, yeah. AMG GT63. It sounds terrible, doesn't it, Dave? Mm. We were actually the first outlet to get our hands on the new Megane Trophy R. So, oh, given so, the, so that's based on the Megane RS. Yes, and given that car sort of had a good reception but not amazing, it was interesting to drive the super hypo-focused one, yeah. um, but I can't say anything because it's under embargo still. But oh, yeah. well, What good is that to us? Well, nothing. <laughs> we'll have to get you back on again, won't and we? And I'll talk about it then. Okay, all right. Um, then just quickly then, uh, you said at the start that begs an obvious question, um, and now we are going to beg for that question. Yes. So there was no Ferrari, there was no nope. Lamborghini, there nope. was no uh, Aston Martin. Nope. Why not? The cynical answer is to say because they're scared of coming. Yes, and um, that's kind of what I hoped you would say. Yes. So that you politely invited them, and they equally politely declined. Yeah, so to give us a bit of an eye behind the scenes, those exotic cars tend to come with fairly stringent uh, rules on them for use in Australia, um, which I can totally understand. It, running a car like that is extremely expensive. Every kilometre you put on it, especially if it's on a racetrack, you know, they're going to need a new set of tyres, potentially new brakes. Big investment, especially for an outpost. Yes. Um, however, you know, every other manufacturer manages it. You yeah. get the exotics that sell these cars at massive margins. Suspiciously can't find a car. Mm. Uh, McLaren said they were between press cars, which may be true. They were very keen. Uh, every year we give them more notice. I spoke to Lamborghini in March about having a car for Picotti. The launch was a couple of weeks before Picotti. Then mm. again, the car couldn't appear. Ferrari doesn't do comparisons. Um, so it's a bit sad, though, because... It's a bit sad because these cars are very, very good. They're very, really, really, really good. Yeah. And they deserve to be put out there because there's every chance that it'll win. You know, the new Huracan's great. You've driven it. Your Ferrari's latest stuff is fantastic. Yeah. Um, so it's a bit sad that they don't get put into this environment. Um, but what can you do? We ask every year and they say no. So I, I find that, yeah, I find that equally sort of sad and disappointing because not winning Performance Car of the Year is nothing to be ashamed of. No. Something to be very proud of is being invited to attend. Yeah, exactly. You know, so even if, you know, and, and, you know, Ferrari is probably the one that is most guilty of, of having that kind of attitude towards it because they won't even allow us to do comparisons. If no. we ask for a Ferrari and they say, what's it for? And we say, we're going to put it up against a McLaren. They'd, they'd say no. They yeah. will not have their cars directly compared to another, yeah. which McLaren to me kind of says, I know what their response to it would be, but to me, a cynical journalist, I would say we just you sound a bit scared. You're worried that the competitor is going to win. Yeah, I mean, we had a 488 come to Bacotti a couple of years ago, and, I mean, it performed incredibly well, but it didn't match its acceleration claims, and it didn't win. It came second, although I voted for it because it's a fantastic car. I yeah. love it to bits. Right. But, obviously, to Ferrari, that is an abject failure. Second is the first of the losers. Didn't match its claims, blah, 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 blah. And um, I think they dipped a toe in the water and... 
sadly it didn't win because <laughs> they've said no ever since. But um, oh, well, oh, what can you do? Well, the glory goes to someone else. Exactly. The gl- oh. Yes. And someone who is very welcome to come back again next time is both Scott Newman and Dave Bonici. That is all we have time for this week. Uh, join us again for another podcast coming your way very soon. We may even do another little outside broadcast from... Ooh. Well, I say broadcast. not really broadcast, is it? Outside recording outside narrow cast from the SB Hotel. Watch this space. In the meantime, do take care on the roads, particularly if it's a day like day with horrid weather. In the meantime, my name is Daniel Gardner. Drive safely and I'll talk to you very again soon. Bye. <sighs>